You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. to be here at Calvary Baptist in Gravenhurst this morning. Uh, my name is David Mann, as Alyssa alluded to, and perhaps if you close your eyes for a second, you'd recognize my voice. I am the host of the Afternoon Drive on Life 100.3. I also host uh, Culture at a Crossroads, a current affairs show that runs Saturday mornings at 10.30. And I'm just going to take a few minutes to uh, give you a bit of an update on Life 100.3 before we transition into the, the message, into the word. So uh, you guys have supported life in the past, so thank you for enabling us to keep doing what we do, which is uh, to spread the message of God's love through radio. Uh, If you're not familiar with life, let me ask, who who does listen to life here? Can can you raise your hands? Okay, who listens to uh, the Get Up and Go show in the morning? Yeah, what about Praise and Worship Sunday? Okay, Any, any Gospel Greats fans in the house? Wow, oh, okay, all right. Long live, long live. Uh, and we have praise and worship at night now, after seven weekdays. Have, have you guys picked up on that? Okay, just want to make sure, just want to make sure. Uh, so we made that update at the beginning of this year. And uh, if you're not familiar with Life, we are a Christian radio station based in Barrie, uh, but we have repeaters in Owen Sound, Peterborough, and Huntsville, and we travel pretty much everywhere in between. Uh, we also have an app, and we have a stream. You can go to our website. And basically, we're mainly uh, Christian AC music, so artists like Casting Crowns and Toby Mac, uh, Switchfoot, one of my favorites, and then we have a lot more worship now, uh, Praise and Worship Sunday, and then Worship at Night, and then we also have Focus on the Family in the morning, uh, we have David Jeremiah, and then we have Chuck Swindle, Charles Stanley, and Odyssey. Do you guys listen to Odyssey? Yeah? Yeah? Okay, just making sure, just making sure. So that's, that's kind of our lineup, and for us, essentially, we see that there are many options on the dial uh, to listen to on the radio. But there's only one that points up. And we believe that one difference means everything. Uh, Other stations, objectively speaking, have underlying values of secularism or commercialism. Uh, But we are able to parse through that. And our underlying values of eternity, truth, and love mean that when you listen to life and the fact that it points up, whether it's hearing a Bible verse, whether it's uh, listening to a few songs, whether it's listening to an excerpt of a sermon, the hope is that it's going to bring someone closer to Jesus. And so that's why we do it. And we're not naive to the fact there are great streaming uh, audio services out there. I, I have a podcast. I know there's podcasts, there's Apple Music, uh, there's Spotify, there's satellite radio. But for us, we really see our piece of the kingdom pie is, is connecting that broader community. So when you're listening to life, it's in real time. You know, there are thousands of other believers listening t- as, as well. So you're connected. Uh, a few years ago, so on my show, we do something called the prayer time every single day at 4.50. We have a prayer wall. And uh, the, the following day, a, a gentleman reached out to me and he said, hey, um, you have no idea how much that prayer meant to me yesterday. And, uh, and so the, the context of his situation was he and his wife were fostering and they were contemplating adoption and uh, just really wanted prayer, didn't know what to do. And I think a lot of people can relate to that situation. And he said, he went on to say, he said, David, your prayer yesterday was one of the most powerful God moments in my life. And he said, it was the weight of like a thousand prayers praying over me in my situation. And that's what we're able to do together. 
right? We are stronger together. And that's why we have Life 100.3. Uh, this, I got this elder from a church in Collingwood. He told me, personally, I think life helped transform my faith from abstract to real. And so this is what's happening. I mean, we know the word of God does not go up void. You are a church that stands firmly on the word. And we're doing it 24-7. We're doing it in a modern way. And faith comes through hearing. And so uh, we're super thankful for what we get to do across central Ontario uh, through Life 100.3. And we appreciate your support in doing it. All right, we'll transition into uh, the scripture this morning. We're going to be in Isaiah 59, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. I'm going to have it up on the screen as well. Uh, We're going to be in Isaiah 59, beginning in verse 12 from the ESV. Um, Ever since the Garden of Eden, relational strife has rocked communities. It's driven a wedge between loved ones, between churches, between cities, between countries, uh, just like it did with Adam and Eve. However, as our text this morning will point out, our inability to treat one another with love and dignity, it can be resolved. Um, So as you're finding your your way there, we're going to begin at verse 12, and uh, I'll I'll follow along as I read. Uh, So beginning at verse 12, Isaiah 59, for our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities, transgressing and denying the Lord, and turning back from following our God speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the streets, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered if there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld them. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal with a cloak. According to their deeds, so will he repay wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. To the coastlands, he will render repayment. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives. And a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit is upon you. And my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forever. Thus saith the Lord. All right, that's a, that's a lengthy scripture. Thanks for bracing with me. I'm going to pray for us. Father, thank you for your word that does not go out void, as we've already uh, mentioned. And just thank you for uh, the, the richness that there is in it. And uh, Lord, what we're unpacking this morning, though, we can't really understand this uh, the way that we need to apart from your spirit. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be our teacher and that you would show us uh, a picture of, of better justice uh, among one another and, 
and, and really where that justice comes from from you. And so I just thank you for this, this gift that we can receive in being justified. And I ask that it would drive deeper into our hearts this morning. Lord, use me as your messenger. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, just to brief you on the first part of this chapter, we're about a thousand years before Christ, okay? Isaiah's been a theme already this morning. Alyssa's been, um, you know, get, getting you up to speed on, on this amazing book in the Old Testament. And the prophet Isaiah, God's messenger, is describing how the community of Israel uh, is rife with social injustice. And as disagreements arise, there are attempts for reconciliation, but uh, pretty hard for that to come about when uh, you can't trust each other. And there's a real lack of integrity uh, among this community. And so that puts a halt on really any kind of resolution. So that's, that's the bleak backdrop that we're working from here for the context of this scripture. And so this passage ultimately identifies the great problem that we all face. Uh, it's going to look at the solution that we all need for this, this kind of justice uh, the redemption that we can receive, and finally, the promise of help for the days ahead. So what it boils down to, really, in the scripture, what I want to help you see this morning is that justice received from God must result in justice achieved among man. Justice received from God must result in justice achieved among man. Now, it's worth noting that up until verse 12 as well, uh, there's been this shift just before this where Isaiah has been describing over here, they, uh, this is what's happening to Israel. And just a couple verses before our passage begins, he shifts to we. He's starting to take a communal ownership over us and identifying the problem uh, that is going on here. So in verse 12, he says, for our transgressions are multiplied before you, before God, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are ever with us, and we know our iniquities. It kind of reads like a prayer. Uh, our, our transgressions are before you, God. And so off the hop, uh, what Isaiah is doing, he's acknowledging that all of us play a part in the injustice that we experience. Our, our, our tendency is often to look over there um, so quickly, especially in, in situations uh, when we're enmeshed in conflict. Uh, emotionally, we can't always think as, as logically. We get really um, dogmatic in our thinking. But he's trying to... He's, Keying in here, we all own a piece of the pie. My, my first point in, in addressing this injustice in community and, and really where it comes from God is that we need to admit to our own struggle. Okay, we need to admit to our own struggle. Sin is what we most commonly refer to as displeasing God, right? Kind of a common, common church word. Uh, but there's a couple other words in this first verse that also has a similar meaning as sin. Did you catch them? Uh, iniquity and transgression. You familiar with those words too? So I want to give you just a little bit of a, a, a basis for what they, they mean, uh, because they also mean to displease God, but the specifics uh, are interesting. So sin um, specifically means to like miss the goal. So picture an archery target and the arrow didn't hit the, didn't hit the bullseye, or a dartboard and your dart has uh, it's hurt your drywall instead, and you got to worry about that. You didn't get the target. And the bullseye, God said back in Isaiah 56, is to maintain justice and do what is right. But that's not happening. And so clearly, um, there is sin among these people. 
Now, Isaiah also says that the people are guilty of iniquity. Iniquity means to bend or distort what is good. So something that has like a, a good and pure connotation, but you're not using it for that way. So an example of this uh, would be in Isaiah 58, God rebuked the Israelites for fasting, but doing it for themselves. Fasting is supposed to be this reflective and um, God-honoring exercise, a way to depart and, and really focus on him. But, but God rebukes them because um, they're fighting with each other still. Uh, there's people in jail who shouldn't be in jail. And, and so really, they're, they're not fasting for the right reason. They're distorting this good thing. And last, Isaiah says, that our transgressions are multiplied before you. Our transgressions are ever with us. And what transgress means is to fracture, to break. Okay, I broke, uh, I, I fractured my Achilles last year. It wasn't fun, right? Just completely, like, can't, can't do much activity at all. And, and so God is, is saying that they've, they've fractured relationships. And, and this is important. This is the one that, is elaborated on the most in this passage, not just in this verse, but later on in verse 20 as well. Transgression, fractured relationships. There's that horizontal connection between us and others. So as Isaiah takes communal ownership, this is what we need to see. There is injustice among these people because justice has not been received from God. It hasn't been realized in that, in that first vertical relationship. There is a direct connection between how we treat each other and how we treat God. One day in the early 1900s, the London Times newspaper asked the question, what is wrong with the world today? And uh, a British author named G.K. Chesterton responded with a very brief letter. He wrote, dear sirs, I am. Did you catch that? The British author described the problem of the world with two words, I am. We are, it's us. We've got to look at ourselves, right? Jesus said, look at, the, look at the plank in your own eye before the, the skin in, in, your, in your neighbor's, in your brother's eye. But this isn't our tendency. When in conflict, we're quick to point the finger. But what happens when you point the finger? You've got three fingers pointing back at you. <laughs> In, in verse 13, Isaiah says, we speak oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering trouble, uttering from the heart lying words, rather, uttering from the heart lying words. It, it, it all stems from the heart, which is, our, which is our central operating system. The essence of sin, the essence of transgression, the essence of iniquity, it, it, it dwells here. All that you commit stems from the heart. God said to the prophet Jeremiah that the heart is deceitful above all things. So you need to admit to your own struggle. We need to be quick to see um, how we've got it wrong in order to figure out how we can get it right around us. And this stems from God. Uh, and what's interesting on, on this subject is if, if you're to go home and read over the first 11 verses in this passage, you'll notice that all of the accusations that Isaiah makes about this community, all the things they're doing wrong, he owns all of them in the rest of the chapter that we're reading. And he takes ownership. He says, yeah, we are responsible for this. 
So the, the finger is, is pointed, but it's, it's, there's ownership for it. And the result in verse 14 from, from these, this problem in the community, missing the mark, bending and, and, uh, and distorting what is good and, and fracturing is justice is turned back. Verse 14 says justice is turned back. The NIV translation of this verse is that truth is nowhere to be found. Nowhere to be found. Because there's no integrity, uh, can't be trusted. And uh, th- what this means is like our sin uh, cuts us off from each other because we're first cut off from God. Our sin cuts us off from each other because we're first cut off from God. Justice can't coexist with people who are unjust. So how does, how does God respond to that? We've been singing about God's, Jesus' victory, and, and, and here's, here's where this, this starts to take shape, okay? Verse 15 says, the Lord saw it. The Lord saw this state of corruption that was apparent in Israel, and it displeased him. It, it, it bothered him. My second point this morning is that God provides a better justice. God provides a better justice um, that, it, that, it, that doesn't exist uh, among us. So since there is absolutely no justice on the earth, uh, sin has to be overcome by something that's not living here. Uh, you can't clean dishes with a dirty rag. It, it just makes them dirtier again. And, and, and God has observed that everyone is, is broken and there's, there's no one here that can help fix it. So the source of the solution has to come from outside. And so that's what happens here. Uh, God intervenes himself to achieve salvation, to restore justice among these people. How does he do it? Verses 16 to 18 tells us he comes in perfect righteousness himself. So that perfect righteousness, that's his superior moral quality. That's what enters in. It's not tarnished in any way, and, and that righteousness swoops into action, if you can imagine. And he clothes himself with vengeance and zeal, repaying wrath to all the enemies. According to their deeds, it says that they will pay. There will be punishment. Hold on a second. First, we learn that we're the problem, that we've got to admit that we're part of the struggle, and the solution now is that God's judgment will fall on us. I mean, we're, we're kind of, we've been God's enemies, haven't we? That doesn't sound like good news. But look at verse 20. Do you see verse 20? And a redeemer will come to Zion. A redeemer will come to those who turn from transgression, to those who admit that they're fracturing relationships, and they will be appeased of, of this. So that's why the first point is so important. If you don't admit to your own injustice, if you don't admit that you're part of this massive problem called sin, part, called displeasing God, then you won't turn. Then you won't look to the redeemer and judgment will fall as it should. But if you turn, and if you humble yourself, God redirects his punishment from landing on you. Just like picture like a, a, a I don't know, this is pretty colossal, but like picture like a, a big bomb that is just headed to fall down here and then, and it can get redirected. Like that's the kind of impact that's, that's coming our way. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, Pretty much the same thing in Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And he says, all are justified by God's grace through the redemption that is Christ Jesus, whom God put forward 
as a propitiation by his blood. So there, there's, the, there's the redeemer, okay, that has is, that is absorbed this. And that word there, propitiation, kind of one of these like technical Bible words that you can talk to Pastor Mark more about when he comes back if, you, if you're not getting it, if I'm not making it clear enough to you this morning. But essentially, I'm going to try to give you a radio definition. Uh, it means to turn away wrath by offering a gift. So again, bomb coming down, but something falls in its place and, and, and takes the penalty. A gift is, is, is offered. That's what Jesus did. By shedding his blood on the cross, Jesus took the punishment that you deserved. And that's the justice. That's what makes it possible that he can offer you redemption instead. Is because he's absorbed what was coming your way and it's been turned away. Jesus had God's back turned to him so that it wouldn't be turned to you. Paul goes on to say in Romans 3, it was to sh- that the reason for this was to show God's righteousness at the present time, that's his superior moral quality, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So the reason God can be justifier and offer us redemption through Christ is for the same reason that he remains just and punishes those who don't turn to him. It's because of his perfect righteousness. So it can't coexist with injustice. It can't coexist with brokenness because God is perfect and uh, he can't disown himself. But in the same reason, um, this perfect justice, this, this righteousness of him, it can be imputed on us and then it can be sufficient uh, to turn away this wrath because it's, it, it's really his. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing, verse 17 says. So those who don't turn to the Redeemer will face God's wrath. We've talked about that. They will pay. But it is out of God's righteousness that enables him to achieve this salvation because it, it wasn't the dirty, it wasn't the dirty rag. It was a clean rag that came from another world, that came from God. And so he, Jesus dies as our perfect sin offering and absorbs our, our punishment. That's, the, that's, this, that's this great justice that we get to reap the benefits of. And it's masterful. It is masterful. And yet one of the things that we can do that can, again, distort some of the stuff that happens amongst us in our communities is we can really think that we've got this figured out, that we, we fully understand uh, this, this perfect justice. Um, but not only is that not the point, that's not true. You see, we do get a sense of the logic for how God can save us, for how we can achieve this salvation, and for how we can, we can be declared righteous. And, and Paul uh, is helpful in, in just his ability, and Isaiah uses, like, you know, body parts and clothing, kind of bringing it down to us in the finite. But the, the thing is, this is, this is the Lord we're talking about. Uh, his righteousness sustained him. And he's perfect and almighty. And he's infinite and we're finite. And part of what makes this a better justice is that at some level it's beyond what we can grasp. You see, if it was, if it was something that, that we could really understand, I don't know how good that would be. But it's, it's so glorious. God is so far beyond us. And yet he's, he's, he's giving us what is his but he's, think about it, he's infinite and we're finite. So we're, we're, we've got to come to terms that we're not going to be able to fully, fully grasp it at, at its whole. It, it is glorious. And he's provided a better justice that can infiltrate our injustice. 
And, and that's the only way that we're going to be able to, to fix the, the brokenness that so often uh, prevails in our communities, among loved ones, in marriages, all over the place. So this leads me to my next point, is that justice is achieved through the Redeemer transferring righteousness. Okay, so we've already kind of keyed in on this, but do you realize entirely what you're receiving in the Redeemer? I love Second uh, Corinthians 5.21. It's a pretty, pretty well-known verse, but as I was preparing this message, it really crystallized to me. The Apostle Paul said, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God that achieved this justice. And if you've turned from your sin in receiving this Redeemer, you're actually receiving God's perfect righteousness as your own. That, that's the great exchange. That's the great trade. You're getting what you can't even comprehend fully, the righteousness of God. You're getting it freely, and it, and it, it comes inside of you. So, so God sees you now through this righteousness, and, and, and that's the only way he sees you through. Uh, we know conditionally we're still, we still struggle, but positionally, that's, that's ours. And at the time of Isaiah's writing, um, the Israelites don't have the same knowledge we do of, of the gospel accounts of Jesus, right? I mean, this is a thousand years later. Um, but they would uh, ha- have, some, have some insight into what, what, what a redeemer was. And so this should have made the hair stand up on the back of their neck a little bit when they see that a redeemer will come to Zion. Like, what's that all about? Jesus is the one that will secure this redemption for us, that will enable us to have to able to, to make this trade a reality. He's going to be the one that signs the dotted line of the contract so that we can have that trade and we can, you know, finally make the Leafs a better team this year. Uh, so this is how God is justifier. Uh, Jesus is perfectly righteous. His standing is perfect. And in you turning to accept the Redeemer, um, this is, this is what, what goes down. And, and so the Redeemer, this is, this is what they would understand here. Uh, a Redeemer for them was someone who would step in and act on behalf of a relative who was in trouble. So in the story of Ruth, probably the, the best known example of, of a redeemer that comes into play in the Old Testament, uh, what happened there was um, her husband dies, so she becomes widowed, and the custom was that the man's closest relative was to step in and marry the widow in order to provide for her and produce an heir for the deceased man. So usually this is a brother, but essentially what this does is it allows for that lineage to continue, that family name to live on. And that's exactly what Boaz does, doesn't he? He he takes Ruth, he protects her, and he preserves the family line of her late husband. A couple things to keep in mind with this story as far as what the Israelites would have known about a redeemer and what we should be able to take from this. The first being is that for more traditional cultures, family was everything. And maybe you know some people that come from more traditional cultures. Maybe you do. The last name that you have, uh, where you live, that has, that has such significance. And so for the redeemer to come and preserve the family line of her late husband, um, the redeemer is doing something that wouldn't be possible otherwise. Like that family line would be cut off. Um, that, that late husband, his lineage would be severed completely. 
so a redeemer does something that wouldn't be possible otherwise. It literally wouldn't. And here's the thing. The same is true for us. So this is a picture of, of what looks like to be the most important thing for them. But for us, we have been cut off from God because of our sin, because of our transgression, because of our iniquity. And so we get a redeemer in Jesus that allows us to be reconnected with God. And this would not be possible otherwise. It's the same implication. God said through the prophet Ezekiel that he would give us new hearts. This is how it happens. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So every regrettable action you took that stemmed from your heart, and yet God will give you a new heart. And he will begin to help transform the way that you think, the way that you think about him in relation to you and the way that then that, that spills out into how you think about those around you. So by turning, we're making room for God's love to come into our hearts. And what happens with the transformed heart is that our desires become God's desires because of his righteousness that is now ours. We start to, he sees through that veneer and we start to see through that veneer as well. So for us, we come to see that our injustice, our sin that is blocking us from people um, it stems from us being blocked by God. And, and once there's that breakthrough, once we can really, really realize this, um, we're, we're going to start to uh, change the way that we perceive one another. I, I love um, John Newton, who wrote the, the, the hymn Amazing Grace. He, he did some marvelous reflections on, on what grace means. And he says that in the life of someone who's experienced grace, as they mature in that, uh, one of the uh, resembling features of their life should be someone who is slow to engage in conflict. And he, and he says, like, how, how could we engage in conflict quickly if God has been so slow and long-suffering with us? We were in conflict with him. We were shaking our fists at him, and yet he gave us grace. He gave us justice where we didn't deserve. He gave us a redeemer. And so if we are to have truly realized what we've received, then we should hold any conflict that's, that's possible. We should be so slow to engage in it. There, there is a direct impact here. And that's, that's the hope. I, obviously, that's a hopeful picture. Um, but you might be thinking that some days it sure doesn't feel like God's righteousness has been given to you. You don't feel worthy of it. You still feel the corruption of those around you. Um, you know your heart still has a tendency for wickedness. It is still deceitful above all things. And the reason for this is because the power of sin still wages on. We haven't fully received um, this victory yet. Where We're on our way. The heart is being transformed, but we are still works in progress. And maybe this morning you, you've just experienced too much loss. You're just sitting there in your seat and you're just like, I don't have this person beside me who, who used to be here. Or, you know, I've just got so many things that have, that have happened to me over this past year and during COVID. And so maybe you're, you're at such a loss that God's righteousness doesn't seem like it should belong in your vocabulary even. Well, just a couple uh, months ago, I met up with a, a man for coffee and uh, he was sharing with me about some of the hardships in his life, some of the, the difficult things that he'd been through. And uh, despite being able to articulate to me the essence of, of what the gospel is, that Jesus died for our sins, that he raised, rose to new life, I had to ask this guy, I had to ask him, I said, 
well, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you? And to that, he was honest enough to say, no, I don't. My final point is that the Redeemer promises justice for us for the days ahead when it's hard. The scene that Isaiah describes is God going into battle. God putting on a helmet, putting on a breastplate. And yet, we see in this text, he's won this battle. He's victorious. That's what we were just singing about. And in the same way that, that God has won this battle, um, and, and we get to be partakers in that, well, just with, with any victory, there's a prize. And God shares that, that prize with us. And uh, let's face it, usually uh, if you've done something well at your, at your workplace or in athletics, um, you might get some sort of prize, a medallion, a trophy, a certificate. But almost always it ends up somewhere kind of dusty, dusty trophy case, right? Maybe you're, you're even sorting, as you're purging your house, you're like, oh yeah, 20 years ago I got this, but you kind of forget about it. Um, those kinds of victories, you, ca- you, are, um, you carry them. You carry the awards. But this victory, the one that God has claimed here in, in achieving salvation for us, uh, it gives you a prize that carries you. So the other ones are, are awards that you carry, but this award is one that actually carries you. And that's why there's hope for days ahead. So check out verse 21. Uh, There's actually an interesting shift here in in who God is speaking with. So I mentioned to you from the outset of this message uh, that uh, Isaiah begins describing the condition of them uh, over here, uh, the people of Israel, and then there's this communal ownership. It's we, that yes, we've messed up. Yes, um, we have uh, done transgressions before you. And now we're ending with you in the singular. Do you know who the singular is here, who who he's addressing? It's Jesus Christ. This is the Redeemer. We've established that Jesus is the one that's going to accomplish this victory. Jesus is the one that secures this salvation um, that, that God has accomplished by coming to the world as a perfect man, dying on the cross for your sins, rising again to new life. That's what achieves salvation. That is how God uh, saves us. God the Father sent God the Son to secure this justice. So here's the promised prize, and here's, here's how it carries you. Um, Jesus is carrying you, and uh, verse 21 keys in on two ways that he does that. Uh, God declares here that his spirit is on Jesus and will not depart from him. Do you see that? In verse 21, my spirit that is upon you, and then other translations uh, mention that it will not depart from you, and if you read into it a little bit more, it, it says that in the ESV as well, if you translate it. And so here's why that's significant. Uh, The people of Israel would know, uh, just like with the Redeemer, uh, they were familiar with this term of the Spirit. And it also comes up in in verse uh, 19 as well. Um, So for them, the Spirit always embodied the life of the Lord. That's what the Spirit meant. And in their past, they would have known and they would have often shared with one another about times when the Spirit came to places. So the Spirit was on kings. The Spirit came on King Saul. Uh, The Spirit came on judges. The Spirit came on on temple workers. But the one theme of all the times 
that the Spirit came on different people or came over tabernacles is the Spirit always eventually left town. Like he didn't stay there permanently. And so God's presence left. And so that's why it's so significant that in this verse and and about Jesus, we're reminded that his Spirit stays on him and remains. Spirit stays on him and remains. God's presence is filled out here. And and what's so interesting is that Jesus' cousin makes almost an identical observation to what Isaiah is sharing with us when Jesus enters the earth. So John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, Jesus' cousin, he says this in in John 1.32. He says, when when he looks and he sees Jesus, he says, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. The Spirit is there. The Lord's life is there. The Lord's life is filled out in God the Son, in the person of Jesus Christ, and it's not going anywhere. The power of sin has moved out, and the power of Christ has moved in if we partner with Jesus. If he's, if he's with us, if we've got that righteousness, that's what's there. And even if we feel like we keep messing up, if we feel like we don't deserve this justice, it's ours, it's there. We have this reminder that the Spirit, God's life, is with us. So he's taken up residence with you if you have received this perfect justice. The Apostle Paul says it in, the, in, this, in this famous terminology that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In this amazing way, uh, Christ, whose righteousness was given to you, uh, remains in you. And so when you feel belittled by someone, by someone's scathing comment to you, uh, when you feel like cut off, when you feel like you've been treated unjustly, you can be reminded that you've been given justice where you don't deserve it. So just think, every moment that you acknowledge that Jesus is your Savior, you're actually acknowledging that he walks with you just like he walked with the people that were on the road to Emmaus. He's right there because the Lord's life is there because the Lord's Spirit is on him and is not leaving. Not leaving town. As long as Jesus is alive, sin is defeated. Justice can and should overtake injustice that is first in us, and then if we can unite together, like we are here this morning, then it should be a defining feature of our communities. The second way that this righteousness can be applied to your life and that this prize can carry you, no matter what hardship you face, is by the words that God puts in Jesus' mouth. And my words that I've put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth, and from generation to generation. So again, this was something that the Israelites would be familiar with. They were part of an oral culture. They had received commandments from God through prophets, and they recited these things. For them, the words represented the Lord's truth. So this validated the life of the Lord was the words. As we've already established, God cannot disown himself. And so God's truth can't be broken. If what we have in the pages of our Bibles is true, then it changes everything, right? Either Jesus is a liar or a lunatic, or he 
is the savior of the world. And we believe the latter. And we have this to validate our claim and to validate what we've experienced every single day. We've tasted and seen how good he is. Paul said, if Jesus didn't come back to life, then our faith is useless. There's no victory at all, but we know that's not the case. We have this. We have words from all sorts of different angles in here that point to the fact that Jesus has accomplished victory, that he has saved us, and that this victory is now ours as well, and that we share in this righteousness. We have these words of truth that carry us in the days ahead when it feels hard. So that's how we can know that that God has, in fact, done what he said. There can be truth in how we deal with him. We have prayer prompters. We have all sorts of reminders. We have beautiful doctrine. We have people pouring out their heart in here. And we also have truth for how we can discern challenging situations together. How you guys are going to find an associate pastor. How you're going to go forward from um, losing a a gentleman of the character of, of, of Pastor Ben. Uh, We have the words that validate what it is, the mission of of how we can have this justice over our communities. So let me close by asking you the same question I asked this gentleman um, who I met with for coffee. And uh, that was this. Do you believe Jesus went to the cross for you? Do you believe that Jesus went to the cross for you? Do you believe that he died so that he could transfer his righteousness to you? If that's not the case, I want to invite you right now to do what that gentleman did with me in the, in the parking lot of this coffee shop a couple months ago. And that's to invite Jesus into your heart and to accept his victory as your victory. And it will be yours now and forever. So if you would, close your eyes and, uh, and, and bear with me. If, 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 for those of you who have done this, who have received this victory, received this justice, would you close your eyes with me? I'm just going to say a simple prayer. And it's not in the prayer. It's, it's not a magic formula or anything. It really is the... Um, your heart and opening up your heart. And you might say something like this. You might say, uh, God, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry for hurting you. I'm sorry for hurting other people. Um, I I need you. Um, I do believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. Uh, And I accept his forgiveness now. And I receive you, Jesus, into my heart. I receive this justice. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you keep your eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer this morning for the first time or if you rededicated your life, would you raise your hand for me? Would you put those hands up? Awesome. All right, you can uh, open your eyes again. And if you did uh, make that decision uh, for the first time or for uh, a needed time, uh, tell somebody that you came with this morning. It's really important that we're in this community together. We need this justice to be defining uh, of of who we are. Um, So with that, uh, I'm going to dismiss you. And as I do that, uh, elders and, and leaders of the church are going to be up front to pray with you as, as is usual custom here. And uh, make sure to stop by the booth and, and say hi. We've got pink t-shirts now, if you didn't see that. Um, maybe you uh, still need to get some more back-to-school shopping done, and you can do that with my, my good friend Brad on your way out. Uh, thank you so much, Calvary Baptist. Uh, bless you guys. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.